made it. Welcome in and welcome back to the Running Hoops Podcast. I'm Andrew Crowley. We've got a jam-packed episode for you today. We're going to talk all about what the experts are saying or have said about the offseason that the Running Utes had, the Craig Smith hire, some of the transfers in and out, and what things look like for the Utes this season so far. We're also going to take a look at bracketology as Joe Lenardi released his first bracketology of the year. We'll do that on the show as well. But first, wanted to let you know that we are sponsored on this podcast by Super Chicks. Now remember, that's chicks with an X. These guys are on a mission to provide you with the last true chicken sandwich, and I tell you what, they have done a great job. Give these guys a try and you won't regret it. I had their buffalo chicken sandwich not long ago. Mmm, very, very good. Put a little ranch on that sucker. Tastes great. In addition to their chicken sandwich options, they've got hand-cut fries, frozen custard, and you know my favorite's the fried pickles. So, with locations in American Fork, Spanish Fork, St. George, and coming soon to Riverton, there's no excuse to not give Super Chicks a try. You can check out their menu at superchicks.com, and remember, that's superchicks with an X, dot com. All right, some news and notes to get us going here on this episode. Since our last episode, the Utes made their non-conference schedule official, releasing it last Thursday at like 6.45 at night after everybody had gone home. No surprises, no additional games for now, but Craig Smith did leave the door open for that final game slot to still be filled in an interview with Bill Riley on Friday on ESPN 700. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that interview with Bill and Craig Smith, go do it. It's always good to hear from the coach. Brings that energy, brings that excitement. Talked a lot about the guys, the workouts, how things are going. Gave some really good insights. So check that interview out if you haven't already. Speaking of scheduling, the Pac-12 announced a partnership with the SWAC for home-and-home games against HBCUs. I think this is a really cool idea, especially given how apprehensive the previous staff was with scheduling any road games, Power 5, non-Power 5, whatever. What's it going to do for your tournament resume? I think your best case scenario is probably a Q3 road game, but nevertheless, I think it's always good to have a few true road games under your belt before you get into league play. Now, obviously, we've got the series with BYU, but after this season, right now, there's no other true road games on the schedule. So, again, it's an opportunity to get the boys out on the road, get into that road routine, play in a different arena, play in front of different fans that maybe aren't your fans, that are not friendly. Give them that road experience one or two times, maybe three, before you get into your conference play. I never quite understood the approach that the last staff took to non-conference scheduling, thinking that you could schedule eight home games, nine home games, and an MTE, and then have your team ready to go play at Oregon or at UCLA or wherever. Love this idea. It's going to give the players an opportunity to see things from different perspectives. They won't actually be participating in this until 2024, but when they do uh, have one of these home-and-home series, it'll be against either Alabama A&M, Alcorn State, Arkansas Pine Bluff, Bethune-Cookman, who actually comes to the Huntsman Center this season as part of the Sunshine Slam, Jackson State, or Mississippi Valley State. And you may remember them as a team that we boat raced by over 100 points. We had two players that got triple doubles, I think, in that game. Maybe even three. I don't know. But we got all excited because, hey, we've got these freshmen that got triple doubles. Oh, we're, we're going to be awesome. And then we proceeded to go down to Myrtle Beach and lose to Coastal Carolina and Tulane. But I digress. 
Switching gears now to recruiting, the Utes have also extended an offer to Randall Godfrey Jr., who's a 6'6 small forward out of Georgia. He's got offers from George Mason, Georgia Tech, Auburn, Missouri. He visited Ole Miss this weekend. I believe his main recruiter on this for the Utes is Tim Morris. He becomes the fifth 2022 prospect that we know for sure has a Utah offer, along with Colin Chandler, Zach Keller, Milo Suzan, and Johan Trahor. Now, speaking of Zach Keller, he's one of their top priorities for the 2022 recruiting class. He's a power forward out of Highlands Ranch, Colorado, plays his AAU ball in Utah. He was on campus this weekend. No real word on how that went, but Keller did release his top four on Monday, which includes Utah, TCU, Texas Tech, and Wake Forest. So the Utes certainly still in the mix with Keller. They've made a good impression on him so far. One of the things I will tell you about Keller and about his recruitment and the other schools is the recruiting website Verbal Commits shows two of the three other schools recruiting him as having put out four, excuse me, five offers to other power forwards and the other one putting out four. Now, Utah also has an offer out to Johan Trahor, who is a power forward, but he's got a ton of big time offers and he's also considering the NBA G League. So I think it's safe to say that the Utah staff is all in on Zach Keller and that he's a kid that could come in and see a lot of playing time at that power forward, that four spot. You line him up next to Carlson, could be a real dynamic front court next year. Not totally sure what the timetable is on Keller's decision, but hope to get some clarity on that here very, very soon. Well, there have been no shortage of people willing to weigh in on the running Utes offseason, including the hiring of Craig Smith, the transfers in, the transfers out, and what this upcoming season may look like for the running Utes. And we're going to start where we left off last week with Andy Katz. Now, as you may remember, Andy Katz ranked the top 12 coaching hires of the offseason, and Craig Smith came in on that list at number eight. His comment was, they'll be consistently good in the Pac-12. And that's what they want at Utah. We're going to jump back to that comment in just a second. Tommy Lloyd of Arizona came in at six. Now, he's the longtime assistant from Gonzaga. He finally moves into a big chair. Smith and Lloyd are the only two Pac-12 coaches that were changed this year, so they're the only two on the list. Katz believes that Lloyd is slightly a better hire than than Smith. And I'll say this. I obviously don't know a ton about Lloyd. I, I can read his resume. But... Is he ready for the big chair? And is he ready for the big chair, especially at a program like Arizona, which may have some issues down the road? In addition, they lost 54% of their production. One of the things that we Ute fans are very familiar with is hiring the guy who sat next to the guy. So is Tommy Lloyd ready for the big chair? Obviously, Arizona's got a ton of talent. They got Pella Larson from Utah. They got a a transfer in from Georgia, a transfer in from Gonzaga. Plus, they've got the Tubelis brothers coming back. They've got Dalen Terry. So they've obviously got talent in the program. The question is going to be, is Tommy Lloyd the guy that can get that out of them after sitting next to Mark Few for so many years? I think it'll be interesting to see. Now, jumping back to Andy Katz's comment on Utah, where he says Utah's going to be consistently good with Craig Smith. Now, on the surface, that doesn't necessarily suggest that Utah is going to be competing for conference championships with Craig Smith 
at the helm. But on the other hand, one of the things that's driven us nuts as Ute fans over the last several seasons is that there has been no consistency. So perhaps this comment is a little bit more on point than we might originally think. And obviously, if Craig Smith can get this team to play at a consistent level, then they will be in the mix for those top four seeds in the Pac-12 tournament. And I think the big hope that we have as Ute fans, of course, is that we will legitimately be a top four seed, not a top four seed that gets bounced on the second day of the Pac-12 tournament. All right, next up, we've got John Rothstein, and you can find him on Twitter, at John Rothstein. It's J-O-N. He's a tough follow sometimes. He's very repetitive. He's got a bunch of cliches that he uses, but he breaks a lot of scheduling news, so there's that. John recently put out a Pac-12 primer where he ranked every team in the Pac-12. He put a projected lineup out for each squad, and he did some superlatives, player of the year, things like that. He's got the Utes coming in at 11 in his Pac-12 power rankings, ahead of only Cal and directly behind Washington and Stanford. His projected starting lineup for Utah is Marco Anthony, David Jenkins, Booth Gotch, Riley Batten, and Brandon Carlson, which means he's got Raleigh Wooster coming off the bench and Dustin Mohorsik coming off the bench as well. I'm actually not quite sure I agree with John on this. I actually see Booth Gotch as more of a spark guy off the bench. We know from his time here that he really thrived in more of a free-flowing system. We didn't see that a ton under Larry, and he's a streaky shooter. I would think that Craig Smith would like a little bit more of a steady hand in that point guard position, and I think Wooster fills that spot nicely, especially since he's the leading assist guy of all of the transfers in and all of the guys coming back in the program. And having that sort of steady hand at that point guard position is going to be critical to the team's success this year. Mohorsik coming off the bench is also sort of an interesting move or projection for John Rothstein. I think that uh, obviously there are going to be times when he and Carlson are on the floor at the same time or he and Chun. I don't know if he's going to start the season on the bench. They need his rebounding. They need his toughness. Maybe he's another spark guy that comes in and really really toughens up the front line. Should be interesting to see. Curious to know what your thoughts are, though, on the projected starting lineup that John Rothstein put out for the Utes or what you think it may be. In terms of superlatives, he's got uh, UCLA's Johnny Juzang as the player of the year. Makes sense. That's a safe bet. Juzang was a borderline first-round pick in the NBA, decides to come back. That's a loaded UCLA team. He's the face of that UCLA team. Makes sense that he would be a player of the year candidate, certainly, and the leading candidate for player of the year. He also ranks impact freshman. Utah's got nobody on that list. Impact transfers. Utah's got nobody on that list. Under the radar transfers, he's got Marco Anthony and Booth Gotch. And his breakout candidates, he's got nobody on that list. And I'm going to level with you here a little bit. I would be stunned if David Jenkins is not one of the impactful transfers in the Pac-12. I don't know about top 10, but this kid has everything that you're looking for in a scoring wing. Not to mention... He appears to be a great leader, a great teammate, and a guy that could really elevate all of the players around him. A rising tide, lift all boats sort of situation. So don't sleep on David Jenkins. And obviously, the other surprise to me here is that Brandon Carlson is not being listed as a breakout candidate. He's a seven-footer. He's added a jump shot. He's put on some muscle. Not to mention the fact that he's added a headband to his game. And I don't think that we can really put a ceiling on what that headband is going to do 
for Brandon Carlson. But seriously, you know, I think that he benefits the most from some of the guys that have transferred in. We're going to see Jenkins and Anthony slash to the basket, dump it off to Carlson for easy dunks. Wooster, he's going to be able to get the ball inside. How many times over the last few seasons have we been frustrated as Ute fans that we haven't had a point guard that can get the ball inside to our bigs? Well, Wooster's done that. He spent all of last season getting it inside to guys like Justin Bean and Nemish Keita. No excuses on that front, but I think it's all going to serve to help Brandon Carlson to have a big 21-22 season. John also put out an article of the top 25 impact transfers in college basketball this season and Timmy Allen and just about everybody else that went to Texas was on that list. So John really went out on a limb there, but no Ute transfers in and no Ute transfers out on that list besides Timmy Allen. And, you know, that's not surprising. It's hard to imagine to think that when you're ranking somebody 11th in your preseason projection that that a player is going to come in and impact that team one way or the other to move that needle so far to put them up more than 11. So I get it. Um, We're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a few articles that have come out from ESPN's Jeff Borzello. And we'll talk about Joe Lenardi's first bracketology of the year right after these words from one of our sponsors. Hey, everybody. I want to tell you about registered physical therapists, RPT Utah. These guys are committed to getting you back to work and play fast. Ski season is coming up. You don't want to be on the shelf for that, do you? These skilled physical therapists offer a wide variety of services, including surgical and non-surgical orthopedic injuries, spine injuries, headache relief, balance training, and women's health. With nine locations along the Wasatch Front, they've got all your physical therapy needs covered. So go to their website and schedule an appointment today. It's rptutah.com. That's rptutah.com. All right, we are back here on the Running Hoops podcast, and we have been talking about what the experts have said or are saying about the Running Utes offseason. We caught up with what Andy Katz said, John Rothstein, and now we're going to turn to Jeff Borzello of ESPN, and you can find him at Jeff Borzello on Twitter. Now, Jeff has produced a couple of articles this summer, one about winners and losers from the transfer season and the biggest challenges facing each new coach. So we're going to start with the latter and see what he had to say about Craig Smith. His biggest challenge, says Borzello, is continuing his winning ways. Smith has been one of the most successful coaches in the country over the last several years. He won 48 games in his final two seasons at South Dakota, including a regular season title, then went to two NCAA tournaments in three years at Utah State and would have gone to a third had it not been for the pandemic. Utah isn't ready-made to go dancing in year one, but Utah State also went 8-10 and in the Mountain West the season before Smith led them to 28 wins. Early returns. Smith lost his two top players to the transfer portal with all-conference wing Timmy Allen and Alfonso Plummer departing. He brought in Marco Anthony and Roley Wooster from Utah State while also landing in high-scoring guard David Jenkins from UNLV and a pair of underrated guys in Dusan Mahorchik and Booth Gotch, who started his career at Utah before spending his season at Minnesota. All right, so he says that Craig Smith's biggest challenge is going to be continuing to win and win a lot of games. A little bit obvious, right? It's a, it's a step up in competition. You've got 20 games against the Pac-12 and a non-conference schedule that features three to five good teams, including that road test at Missouri this December. I'm actually going to disagree with Jeff a little bit here. I think that his biggest challenge is twofold. 
And it's twofold for the same thing. And that is, number one, getting the guys who stayed to buy in. Now, all indications are that this has happened. There's a lot of positivity pouring out of the program right now. Craig has said he loves to be in the gym with these guys and working with them and getting better. There's a lot of chemistry. But we need to see that show up on the court. Can Carlson and Mahorsic get double digits in rebounds? Will we see guys fighting for extra possessions for the Utes? Will we see guys diving on the ball on the court? creating those those turnovers, doing all of the little things that have really not been there the last couple of seasons for the running Utes. Those are all, I think, physical signs that the team can show that they have bought in. And that's going to be a big key. And I think the second key is similar to the first, and that is, can he get recruits to buy in to this our way is the winning way approach. Can he get a kid like Colin Chandler, like Zach Keller, Milos Uzan, Johan Trahor? That That's a long shot. Randall Godfrey Jr. Can he get these guys to buy into this system here? This, we're going to get this done. We're going to be hard-nosed, play defense, free-flow offense. We're going to win, and we're going to win big games. All of that stuff. I think that's going to be his biggest challenge as we head into season one up on the hill. Now, most coaches in their first year are going to get a pass, right? And and if we see some progress, especially from the returning guys who didn't really have a place on, la- on the last staff's team, right? Guys like Jackson Brenchley, guys like Lahatchoon, even these walk-ons, if they were to get time, what are they going to do with that opportunity, under the previous regime, you'd see guys come in and they'd make a defensive mistake or they'd take an errant shot and they wouldn't get a chance. Well, I think under this new staff with Craig Smith, we're going to we're going to find out how bought in these guys are and where those hustle plays are and whether or not they're willing to do those little things. That's going to be a big big part of this. So I don't think necessarily that Craig is concerned with continuing to his winning ways at Utah. Um, I think if he were, you'd see a much easier schedule than even the one that they've put together. You'd see maybe them host an MTE at their home campus with, you know, Northwestern State and three other teams so they could get, you know, a bunch of easy wins and pile up wins before they go into their conference schedule, but they didn't do that. So I would just disagree with Borzello just a little bit that Craig Smith's biggest challenge is not necessarily continuing his winning ways, but getting that buy-in from all of the players that are either still there or have transferred in to try to put something together this first season. But let me know what you think. I'm very curious to know what Ute fans feel is Craig Smith's biggest challenge. Now, switching gears here, uh, Jeff Borzello also put an article out about the biggest winners and losers from the transfer season. And not surprisingly, Utah fell into the losers category. Let's read a little bit about what he had to say there. Craig Smith balanced out some of the departures, but it's going to be tough to replace the four players that ultimately left for Power 5 programs. Timmy Allen was a first-team All-Pac-12 selection and one of the top five transfers in the country, while Alfonso Plummer averaged 13.6 points. Pella Larson could start for conference rival Arizona while Ian Martinez went across the country to Maryland. Okay, so from a pure numbers perspective, you can't really debate this, right? They lost 75% of their minutes and production, and they lost them all to Power 5 programs. Those are undeniable 
facts. They lost talent, and they lost young talent. And look, Ian Martinez wasn't coming back no matter what. That would have taken a small miracle. Obviously, losing a guy like Poe Larson hurts. Uh, he was he was a guy that really got the fan base excited about what his potential was. Losing Timmy Allen, losing Alfonso Plummer, they're scoring, rebounding. Those are tough things to swallow, obviously. But what I don't think that they lost, and I think it's been one of the glaring holes that this team has had over the years, is that there's not been a player that appears to have taken on a leadership role. They have they, they didn't lose any leadership because they didn't have any leadership to begin with. Right now in the program, you've got Brendan Carlson, who I think takes a big step on the floor and off the floor this season as a leader. You've also got guys like David Jenkins and Marco Anthony, who I believe are going to come in and embrace that leadership role. These are guys who are both on their third transfer. Marco Anthony played at the University of Virginia, one of the best-run programs in the country. He's not coming in here to lose or come in, coming in here to goof around. He believes in Craig Smith and what he's doing and his message and his method. He's going to come in and he's going to help these guys learn how to function in that system and embrace that leadership role. So I think that leadership is going to be one of those intangible things that you don't necessarily see show up on the score sheet, but it's going to be critically important to this team's success this year. All right, let's turn to Joe Lenardi's bracketology, first bracketology release of the year. This came out on September 15th. Is it ever too early to look at bracketology? The answer is probably yes, but it's also probably no. So we're going to take a look. In his initial release, Lenardi has the following Pac-12 teams in the field. UCLA as a one seed, Oregon as a five seed, USC as a seven seed, and Colorado as an 11 seed in one of the last four buys. Washington State he has as one of the first four out, and then he's got Arizona as one of the next four out. And as far as the rest of Utah's schedule goes, the only team on the non-conference schedule he has in the field at the moment is BYU as a 12 seed and part of those last four buys with Colorado. So a couple of quick initial thoughts here for me. A little surprising that he gives he puts Colorado in the field given that they lost McKinley Wright and they lost the kid from Western Illinois that was supposed to back supposed to sort of backfill his role. Now Colorado's got some young talent and Tad Boyle's done a good job there, certainly. Um, if that young talent with combined with Evan Beatty can kind of rally, Colorado should be in good shape. But I just don't know that I trust a Colorado team without McKinley Wright, who was sort of the straw that stirs the drink up there in Boulder. Now, Washington State is everybody's dark horse candidate to get to the tournament out of the Pac-12. And look, they've got some talent. I, I love their talent. Noah Williams, Deshaun Jackson. They've got a lot of good things going for them up there on the Palouse. The problem that they're going to have is that they don't have a strong schedule. Their, their non-conference schedule is fairly weak. Now, they've got a couple of opportunities on neutral court games in like Spokane and, and Seattle. But they're going to have to make hay in the Pac-12. I think they're going to need something like a 12-8 and eight type record in order to get themselves into the NCAA tournament. We just haven't seen that from Washington State. Arizona, we talked about a little bit earlier. They're loaded with talent. But again, does Tommy Lloyd put all of that together in Season 1? I don't know. I think the jury is out. Arizona State and Stanford are always teams that are talented, but largely underachieve under Hurley and Hess. Both of those guys have losing records 
in the Pac-12. So are those teams going to be on the bubble? If they aren't, I think both of those coaches may be in a little bit of trouble. And then there's no love for Oregon State here. This is a team that made a deep run into the NCAA tournament. They won the Pac-12 tournament. Yes, they lost Ethan Thompson, but they've got Warri Thalatiche coming back. They've got Gerard Lucas. They've also got a bunch of transfers coming in from Minnesota, Memphis, Maryland. I'm not. I, I would not dismiss Oregon State as a repeat, as a possible repeat NCAA tournament team out of the Pac-12. Now, obviously, Utah's not on the radar. That makes sense for right now. But I think what this does is this helps us as fans shape our expectations and help us understand what Utah needs to do in order to position itself for the NCAA tournament. If you take all of these teams that Lenardi's got projected into the field right now or close to into the field, it's 13 of the 30 games that Utah will play. So obviously, you've got to beat some of those 13 teams. And then of the 17 teams, including Missouri, Boston College, Rhode Island slash Tulsa, TCU, you've got to beat most of those 17, if not all, of those 17 teams and then pick up a couple of these 13 teams, you know, wins over these 13 teams, if that all makes sense. So I'll be interested to see how this list changes over time. But I think that for Craig Smith, I think for the Utes, and again, I think for us as fans, we at least have a clear picture going in of what this looks like for Utah And I'm interested to see how Utah does in these games against projected teams into the NCAA tournament. And they're going to have one pretty pretty early on in the season with that first Pac-12 road game at USC. That's going to tell us a lot about this running Utes team. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Running Hoops podcast. Thank you for joining me and thank you for listening. I forgot to tell you where you can find us. You can follow us on Twitter at Running Hoops. You can email the show, runninghoopspodcast at gmail.com. You can find us wherever you can get a podcast. On our next episode, we're going to steal an idea from Craig Smith. I'll tell you a little bit more about that next week. But until next time, I'm Andrew Crowley. This has been the Running Hoops Podcast. Thank you again for listening and for joining me. And as always, go you.